Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, November 14th, 2021. And this morning, we are going to speak to you about who we are. In light of recent sermons, more now than ever, we are unified as a body. Yeah. We are unified as families. We are building up the low points in the wall and gaining ground to restore right order in all areas of our lives. Now, there are several examples that we have gleaned from that illustrate who we are as LCM. We are soldiers, men and women who are filled with the courage to complete the call. And we have the highest ranking commanding officer in all of the universe that's leading us. We are LCM from the fraternal and eternal order of the DCD. The die has been cast. We have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. We are on the offensive for Jesus Christ. We won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. Our losses are redeemed. Our present is to make war, and our victory is secure. Amen. We are competitors. Athletes who are fit and thoroughly trained, competing as one unified team for the highest crown, and that being the very glory of God. We are finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, cowardly ambitions, faint-hearted faith, and feckless objectives. We no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. We now live by presence, lean by faith, loved by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power until the ultimate sovereignty of God. We are farmers. Workers who are not ashamed of our efforts. Because we have all labored to sow the fruitful seed of the gospel and We are all reaping the heavenly harvest of lives being transformed into the image of Christ. Our pace is set. Our gate is fast. Our goal is heaven. Our road is narrow. Our way is rough. Our companions few, but our guide reliable and our mission paramount. We cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, intimidated, turned back, diluted, or delayed. We will not flinch in the fact of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. We are on the war path for the cause of Christ. Come on, can somebody say amen in this house? Look, as you're turning with us to Ezra 3 for our first passage of the day. As we are turning, we want you to say the title of today's sermon. Say with me, we are. We are. Ezra chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, And his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. In this passage, we see the men of Israel, they were settling in their towns. Well, church, we can't help but think of who we are. We're coming together. We're settling into unity as we never have before in the history of this church. Now, think for a moment about some families. Think for a moment about some churches. Maybe even some chaotic concerts at Astroworld. These groups of people often assemble. But what makes us unique? It's the fact that we are those who not just assemble, but we are those who assemble as one man. 
We assemble and are unified around the presence of God that brings his shalom along with it. We want you to notice the unity of the men who were building the altar of God, laying the foundation for right kind of sacrifice. We have Jeshua and his fellow priests. We have Zerubbabel and his associates who were all building together. These men, along with all of the people, had a uh, come and take it kind of attitude. Man, didn't y'all love Marlon's opening today? That come and take it attitude. They were not shrinking back due to fear while they sacrificed and built in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses. Let's pick up in verse 4. Then, in accordance with what was written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred feasts of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. All right, so let us help you break this down a little bit. Together, the people were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, and they were doing it with the required amount of burnt offerings that were prescribed by the law. There was a strict adherence to these requirements, and the people were more than willing to meet the minimum. Somebody say minimum. The minimum. Asked of them by the Lord. But did you hear that they went on to do something else beside the minimum. They went on to bring free will offerings in addition to that which was required of them. This was growth. It was demonstrating the growth of the leaders and of the people to go beyond the minimum that was required. Look, said another way, you don't get the privilege of bringing free will, free will offerings without first meeting the minimum requirements that the Lord has set before you. Oh, come on. We don't get to sacrifice the way that we want to sacrifice. We meet the minimum requirements of the Lord first. And at that point, we can bring a free will offering to him, knowing that we have met the minimum and we have gone beyond because we love our king. Amen. Look at verse 8 with us. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, began the work, uh-huh. appointing work. Levites, yeah. 20 years of age and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. See, now, church, now that they had done the necessary altar work, they had the work on their own hearts established first. They were qualified. Everybody say qualified. Qualified. To move forward and begin to build the very house of God. Because look, the work of God is ever expanding. It's ever increasing. And it requires the appointment of the Levitical priesthood. Men who are able to oversee the building up of God's house and then go about directing the entirety of God's people in the manner in which God has prescribed for them to build. These, these men did not only begin the work, they were successful in laying the very foundation for the house of the Lord. Look at what they said and what they do down in verse 11 with us. Verse 11 says, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation Well, if you're going to do it, let's do it. They gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Look, this is not only the Levites, the sons of Asaph, who were singing here. This is the rejoicing of all God's people together in the rejoicing. In fact, listen to what the ESV says in verse 11. And they sang responsively. They sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his love, steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. They sang responsively with one another. See, it's a call and a response that's going on here. 
See, the NIV kind of veils this. It just sounds like only the priests were singing. This is the entirety of the people. This is everyone interactively singing. There was no one standing on the stage just being an, an example. It was everyone, hearts together, singing together, praising the Lord for his faithfulness and his steadfast love to his people forever. Amen. Look, people not only sing with all their heart, but all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. Because of the display of his goodness and steadfast love towards his people. All this is true. And yet, in the midst of this joyful gathering of God's people, we're about to see in the passage that even in the midst of the most exciting times of growth, some of the most exciting times of celebration, some of the greatest opposition always wants to rear its ugly head and attempt to spoil the joy that they had and the joy that we have. Listen to verse 12 and 13 with us. Verses 12 and 13. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. So what exactly is going on in this passage? Why are some of the people weeping while the other ones are simultaneously rejoicing? Are they weeping for joy? That's the real question here. The encouragement of Haggai, the prophet, to the people during this time helps us to understand what exactly is going on here. Listen to Haggai chapter 2 and verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Do you see Haggai is addressing the same group that was present there in Ezra chapter 3? Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Okay, he's addressing the very group that was the group that was weeping as this was happening. He says, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Why would it seem to them like nothing? Because they had seen the first temple in all of its glory. See, the prophet Haggai is addressing those who are weeping because they had seen that first temple. They had seen the glory of what had been built. And they were weeping because they had old feelings. They had old memories that were in conflict with the work of the Lord being done now. Listen to it again. They had old feelings and they had old memories that were in conflict with what God was actually doing in their midst now. Everybody say now. Now. So the next question really is, how were they encouraged past these sorrowful conflicts? What was the word of the Lord that helped them rightly focus on the current work, the one happening now at hand? So let's continue to verse 4 in chapter 2 of Haggai. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Church, we want to tell you, that this is where we are today. This is the point where we are where shouts of joy about our current work and current progress are being mixed in with the weeping of old enemies. They're being mixed in with old feelings and old memories that are trying to bombard us and muddy the waters and the work that the Lord is currently doing in our midst. See, the aim of the enemy, church, the aim of the enemy is to make it so that we cannot distinguish between the joyful work that we must fully engage in and the old, 
carnal desires, those old pursuits or mistakes or sins or maybe even relationships that the Lord has rescued us from in the past. Yet they are trying to make their way into our thoughts and into our hearts to distract us from the work and tear us away from the brotherhood that God has placed us within. It's not going to happen. Look, we know that for us personally, over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've had uh, these things become true in our own lives. Learning how to defeat them. Encountering these old enemies that have been bombarding our thoughts and even our phones with attempts to distract us away from the work at hand. Even in the past couple weeks, I myself was remembering old connections that I once had with individuals who should be sitting here with us this morning. Even feeling a sense of deep loss because they're not here. But you have to remember that it was by their own sinful decisions that they are not with us. And they have become old enemies. They had every opportunity to forsake all that they had to join us, just as in fact each one of you have done to be here. You've forsaken all to be a part of this brotherhood. But they chose the lives that they have now. And they are still being used as distractions in my own life. Can you guys relate to this at all? How about old feelings? Old feelings that have been bombarding our hearts with attempts to draw us from building up the brotherhood that we've been blessed with in this house. Can I give you a personal example as we're talking through this? I'm I'm talking about in old feelings, it doesn't even have to be an actual event that's taking place. It's just feelings that are rising up within you. Just feelings of, in me personally, overwhelming discouragement about the direction that I'm taking. I mean, Thoughts that you are inadequate and you won't be able to do it. I mean, it sounds just like Nehemiah 6, these feelings that are coming in. They're just being made up out of my own head. They're not even actually taking place, but the feelings are feeling very powerful. See, the thing is, is not only are these feelings unprovoked, but the truth that's being shown in my life is exactly the opposite of what the feelings are. I've never been more closely walking with the Lord. I have never had a better ear attuned to his spirit and prophetic voice. I have never been more capable than I am now. And yet the feelings of inadequacy can overwhelm me for times. See, the truth that is here is exactly the opposite, but that's what makes these old feelings such an enemy. Can anybody relate to this at all in this place today? Oh, I got one for you. I got old memories. Old memories of past sins, mistakes that come back into our minds, trying to eat away at our confidence from the inside, trying to disqualify us from our portions and responsibilities of our current building project. Old memories that come back in my mind, such as, hey, don't you remember how you missed the mark in the past? How you lacked discernment in that situation, and then you showed cowardice in this one, and then pride and rage in this other? Look, that's what you did back then. You're going to do it again. You should be disqualified. Now, it's a lie. I want to tell you who I am because of who we are. I am now more confident and qualified than I've ever been in my entire life. I have brothers that surround me. Thank you. Amen, Lincoln. Right on time. I'm surrounded by brothers. I'm surrounded by family that bear witness to the evidence of this growth of confidence, of this growth of competency, and of this growth that God is using me with you to build what God is doing here. Now, we're sharing with you over the past couple weeks some of the battles that we've been sharing with each other and going to war with. And if it's been true with us for the past couple weeks then we know that it has been and will be true for you as well. We know that this attack that is upon us and that lies ahead of us is the one that we're articulating to you this morning. Come on, it's like these prophetic words that we're starting to give each other as a church or addressing these very things and the enemy is fighting as hard as he can. But in light of these attacks, we've got to come to the stirring reality. You ready to open our eyes to a reality here? 
that we are living in a very, very special time right now. We are living in the greatest body and most unified family that we have ever experienced right now. We are a unit who have the most vision for our future and the most excitement about what the Lord is building right Right now. We are more qualified in our God-ordained callings and unified pursuit of His holiness than ever before right now. Amen. Everybody say right now. Right now. So we're going to let the words of our highest ranking commanding officer in the universe assist us in identifying some of the old enemies that we must defeat. As you turn to Luke chapter 9, 57, say, we are. We are. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, what should immediately come to mind here are the foxes on the wall from last week. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 3. These are taunts from old enemies that are looking to disqualify your work and create the sense of lack as you are building God's kingdom. See, as you contemplate on Song of Songs 2.15, you remember that it's the little foxes that desire to destroy the vines and ruin our good fruit. You can remember and think back to Luke 13.32, where Jesus responds to the threat from Herod by saying, go tell that fox that the Son of Man is going to press on. He's going to lean into, he's going to have a come and take it kind of attitude for the work that God has set before him. So we want to ask you a question, church. What foxes have you been experiencing of late? Well, whatever they may be, it's time to tell our foxes to go back into the hole they came from. Stop discouraging our work and go the hell away. That's right. Now, when you think of the birds of the air, how can you not think of the birds of prey from Genesis 15, 11 and Abraham's sacrifice? In the most holy of moments. These old enemies, they always try to distract you and invalidate you. And they try to defile your sacrifices that are made in faith. Just ask Pastor Parsons how to deal with those pigeons and those foxes, man. Punch them all. Come on now. We are those who drive the foxes of faithlessness back into their holes and rise above the nests of false security with all of the holy savagery that God's people can muster. We are... Those who reject birds of distraction, the civilian affairs of the world, and are only concerned with the faithful service to our commanding officer. We are those who have no place to lay our heads other than with the brotherhood. No place other than with the brotherhood. And our sacrifices as soldiers will complete the mission given us by our commanding officer. Let's take a look at verse 59. He said to another man. Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. As I read this passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 came to mind. You were dead. You were living in death. Along with those who still follow the dead spirit of this world. While we are turning our thoughts and hearts fully toward the goal and prize at which we are pursuing, it's amazing how the old feelings of death and dissatisfaction try to disqualify us by trying to creep back into our minds, warring with our current work at hand, even telling us that those dead things need our attention and our devotion. Come on, church, say with me. Say, we are. We We are. are. We are those who destroy the remnants of dead works, the old feelings that once defined us in our disobedience. We are those who train ourselves unto faithful service, training our lives in kingdom pursuits, running forward in our race and leaving the dead things exactly where they need to be, dead and behind us, leaving them in the dust where they belong. Let's pick up in verse 61. 
Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, as we interacted with this part of the passage, Psalm 78, 5 through 8, helped to give us insight into Jesus' pointed guidance to this man. In Psalm 78, we discovered that each of us has inherited stubbornness, rebellion, disloyalty. We've even inherited faithlessness from our earthly families. Yet old memories return back to you in a false, positive kind of way. You know what I'm talking about. Old memories that come back to you through those rose-colored glasses that you're wearing. Really false memories because they don't truly represent the bondage you were actually living in in the past. These false memories, they desire to grab you. They desire to compel you to return back to that empty way of life that you inherited, but you have been freed from currently. Come on, say we are. We are. We are those who take Jesus' rebuke seriously. That no one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back to these old memories is fit for service in the kingdom. See, we are people who destroy the remnants of our disloyalty and faithlessness. We are people who cultivate faithful service because the time is now to grab hold of the plow and not look back. Come on, can we get an amen? amen? Look, building unity... It always invites opposition from old enemies, opposition from old feelings, opposition from old memories. And this is what we have to look forward to in the immediate days ahead for us. Let's go to Ezra chapter 4, and we're going to pick up with verse 1. when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of families and said, let us help you build because like you, you. we seek your God. And have been sacrificing to him since the day of Esar Hadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Listen to us this morning, church. These old enemies are trying to entice God's people with subtle, subversive, even carnal camaraderie. Let us help you build, they say. After all, we're, we're just like you. We see God just like you. We sacrifice just like you. We've been doing this for a long time, just like you. Everybody say, no. No. These demonic distractions always start out as subtle enticements, seemingly innocent. All the while, they're playing on surface level similarities, trying to make you feel like they are one of us. So this morning, we're going to give you some, some insight here. That will help you see this passage for what it actually is. Do you view this as old enemies comparing themselves to you, meaning in a singular sense, just you? Or do you see it as as a comparison between them and us as a collective unit? Oh, now you're getting it. When old enemies are coming to you, trying to play on your sympathies, If you view this in the singular, you just might lose sight of the fact that these are indeed old enemies, old enemies that are speaking to you. The key to this passage, which will give you the right perspective and the right discernment, is in setting the comparison between our old enemies to who we are collectively. Hey, old enemies, where were you when we were on the battlefield together, huh? Hey, old enemies, where were you when we were in strict training of righteousness together, huh? Where were you when we were laboring to plant the right seeds in our soil? When we were cultivating our work, when we were cultivating our marriages and our families, you are nothing like us. Come on now. Are you hearing the clarity that comes when you stop thinking as an individual? 
We are like you as an individual. That's not what the scripture says here. It is saying that we are like you. When you put the standard of God where God has put you, you understand who we are, and it allows you not to fall prey to the enemy's schemes in this capacity. Look at verse 3 to see the response. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered righteously. They answered this way. (laughs) You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us to do. Look, notice something here. It wasn't just Zerubbabel. It wasn't just Jeshua. It was Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and all the rest of the heads of families of Israel. They assembled as one man together and gave the singular answer that has the power of the collective group to these enemies. When you rightly recognize the work of old enemies, old feelings, old memories, you are then able to have the right response. Hey, you got no part with us, man, because you are nothing like us. You have no part in building that which is sacred, that which is sanctified. God has given us the task of building together, and that is exactly what we are going to do. Come on, aren't you glad that we get to build this together? Yes. Look at what it says here. It says, we alone will build it for the Lord. As in we, apart from you guys that are nothing like us, are going to build this house for the Lord. See, we are not just called in this house. We are not just chosen. We are those who are proving ourselves faithful to build exactly according to the pattern of unity that God has given us. We are able to withstand ever-increasing opposition, whether by subtlety or by the escalation and even of direct force. We are able to stand together. Amen. Let's continue in verse 4. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. That escalated quickly. They hired counselors to work against them. And frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. (laughs) The first tactic of the old enemy was to oppose by subtlety, subversion, carnal camaraderie. But when that didn't work, they showed themselves for who they really were, with direct and ongoing opposition. Gone were the attempts to identify with us. Gone are the attempts to relate with you. Now these enemies have set out to discourage you, to try to make you afraid, man. See, they are spending their resources. They're soliciting worldly sages. They're sabotaging plans by trying to frustrate the faithfulness of God's people. Come on, church. Are you feeling us today? Ongoing lawsuits. Ongoing media posts. Outright lies and deception being directed towards what God is building and what he is building in us collectively. Church, do you want to hear some more about who we are? We are those who do not cower to discouragement. We are those who are not afraid to go on building. We are those who stand our ground in the great contest, even in the face of severe suffering. We are those who stand side by side with those being publicly exposed to insult and persecution. We are those who are confident in our better and lasting possessions. We are those who grab hold of our confidence, knowing that it will be richly rewarded. We are those who persevere in doing the will of God and who will receive exactly what he has promised. Now, as you're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 2, say we are as you turn. We are. We are going to start in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 2. It says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified To teach others. Come on now, church. It should be ringing in your ears by now. We are. Say we are. We are. We are as a collection. We are men and women who are trustworthy, who are reliable, and are qualified to build God's house together. 
So how do we know that we are these things? Because the enemy has recognized it and is on the offensive by sending old enemies, sending old feelings, reviving old memories, and will continue to send ever-increasing and ever-emboldened enemies to frustrate the work of the Lord. But we are strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Look at the attitude that Paul transfers to Timothy in the next verses. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Come on now. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. See, church, we are sounding a clarion call to every single family, to every single person in this room, to every soldier whom the Lord has called and chosen. Come on, that should give you such great confidence today. That should get you an understanding that you are not having to look just at yourself, but you can see confidently because of the people that God has placed around you. You, If you start to distrust yourself, throw that enemy away and realize where he has put you. That you can come and endure hardship together with us, with the collective. That we can rise up to be the good soldier in Christ Jesus that he has called each and every one of us to be. Look, truth be told, if in the military there are no civilian entanglements, how much more in our pursuit of the building of God's kingdom? We admonish you this morning. Keep your commanding officer in the center of your gaze. Throwing aside your old enemies. Throwing aside those civilian affairs this morning. And working in every way to please him and to have great exploits for him together with us. Let's look at verse 5 in 2 Timothy 2. It says, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. We are sounding a clarion call to every family in this room right now. Every competitor who has been called to the race that's been set before us. So we say, come, commit yourself fully to the kingly competition of his kingdom and the race that's marked out for us all to run together. Now, we're talking about athletics here for a moment. If in athletics, there's a prescribed way that leads to a crown, then how much more in our pursuit of building the kingdom together must we encourage each other to be faithful unto God's commands? Church, we are admonishing you this morning you got to keep that victor's crown right in view. See, this is not your own race. It's not your own race. This is a relay race. We've got others around us, and we all have a part to play in it. And we're going to do that together. We've got to trample underfoot the old feelings. Say old feelings. Old feelings. That are seeking to get us off course. Because your victory is our victory. We're going to get victory together as we run this race together. Say together. Together. Because that's how we are going to achieve victory. Verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. (laughs) This morning we are sounding that clarion call to every family in the seats today. Every farmer who has been called to this field in which you have been entrusted. Come work hard with us. Come so diligently with us. And together we will receive our share of the harvest. See, church, if sowing into a carnal workplace and those achievements that are there, there's an expectation of both hard work and reward, How much more in our pursuit of building the kingdom together should we have the expectation of both hard work and the reward that comes from that? Look, we want to encourage you this morning. How we should keep in view the harvest that will result from our fruitful labor. We must throw away old memories that draw us away from the field that all of us have been called to cultivate. Because the harvest that has been promised us is coming soon, and it will certainly not delay. Come on now, do you hear the clarion call this morning, church? Come on, do you hear the how much more, the kingdom aspects that are so much more pertinent, even than these three examples that are presented to us in the scripture? 
Do you hear the admonition coming from your pastors this morning to get these things in front of your face and to pursue them with us together? Do you hear it, church? Yes. Turn with us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to build just a little bit more, starting in verse 5. We're going to shake things up for you guys just a little bit. And we decided to read this passage from the Amplified Version. Hopefully we can put that on the screen and we can follow along because there are some nuances and some different aspects to this passage that really caught our attention while we were studying. You guys in verse 5? For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong either to the night or to darkness. Accordingly then, let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us keep wide awake, alert, watchful, cautious, and on our guard. Church, we are wide awake. We are wide awake like the hardworking farmer who faithfully rises from his slumber while all of everybody else is still asleep. This is a body of believers who have awakened to the fields that God has entrusted to us. And we will not sleep on our duties. No, no, not. We're not going to go to sleep, but we're going to awaken. We're going to fully be wide awake to cultivate the harvest. We are going to be reliable men and women in this house. Church, are you awake this morning? Look, we are those who are wide awake to the plots of our old enemies, our old feelings, our old memories. Because we are sons of the light and sons of the day. Church, during worship this morning, did you hear the the prophecy in tongues and the interpretation that came forth? Part of that interpretation explicitly told us that what the enemies of God and our own enemies, what they are doing in the darkness, God himself will help to open up our eyes and be able to identify the schemes of the enemy so that we can point to them and have the discernment to recognize what they are and fight together against them. How good is our God to us? He is opening up our eyes this morning to those schemes that are happening right now and the schemes that are right on the horizon for us. And he's saying, hey, wake up, church. Hey, open up your eyes. Look at what the enemy is bringing to you. Be strong. I will empower you together. We are always alert. We are ever watchful. We are discerningly cautious, never failing to be on our guard. Verse 6 continues on, and you can see it on the screen. It says, and let us be sober, calm, collected, circumspect. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. We are sober. We are serious, self-controlled athletes that are disciplined to complete according to the rules that God has established, knowing that our victories will be won collectively as we pursue all that God has entrusted to us. We are those who have a sober view of our old enemies old feelings, old memories. We're able to recognize them. We're able to see them for what they are. And we're free from their poisonous toxins. And we are able to run our race together to the very end. If you'll put verse 6 back up on the screen for us. Right there at the end it says, and let us be sober. Let us be sober. More specifically, it's only together that we can be calm. Yep. That we can be collected. Yep. That we can be circumspect. That's right. Anybody ever been nervous until you looked over a brother and saw them being very stable and it stabilized you? Yes. You were being moved by yes. what was going on and you look over at somebody like Pastor Nick and you're like, well, he seems pretty calm. As a matter of fact, he's pretty joyful right now. Maybe I should just calm down. <laughs> That is Baj's function in this church and to us for sure. To bring a calm, collected. See, aren't we still trying to get out of this singularity in our individualistic look at the scripture? Don't you see calm and be like, I should take a few. I, I need to take a couple of breaths. I need to collect my thoughts. 
but it says, let us be sober. That is us collecting our thoughts together. It's us finding a calmness in what the body of Christ is able to do. Where you feel like you lack, you can throw that away because it doesn't matter because you are sober. And know that in this house, in this body, we have all that we need. We have the mind of Christ. We are able to do what God has called us to do so we can stay calm. Look right in the face of the enemy (laughs) and just laugh at him. Come and take it. You can stay collected, and you can be circumspect. It's almost like we need men of understanding to help us draw out of us what we were not able to see on our own, those motives that we thought we understood, but we really didn't. But collectively, man, we can be sober. We can be calm and collected, and we can be circumspect because of what God is doing in this house. Aren't you glad we're we're in this together? Let's pick up in verse 8. But we belong to the day. Therefore, let us be sober and put on the breastplate, corslet of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So not only are we sober, but we armor up. Like a soldier, we have put on the breastplate of righteousness and faith. And love, we have put those on the helmet of the hope of salvation, firmly placed to protect our hearts and our minds. See, we can do this because we are soldiers who are standing shoulder to shoulder, unified and advancing against the old enemies, those old feelings, those old memories that are trying to come in and thwart it. But we are soldiers and we are standing together. We are those who have armored up, eyes that are fixed and focused on our commanding officer. Those that are battle ready with trust, grounded obedience, and possessing a sincere and ongoing love for each other. Man, are you guys encouraged yet this morning? Look at verse 9. This is going to encourage, it's going to blow your encouragement out of the water here. For God has not appointed us to incur his wrath. He did not select us to condemn us, church, but that we might obtain his salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Look, church, we are not appointed to suffer his wrath. He didn't choose you. He didn't select you so that he could then turn around and condemn you. What he did was he selected, he called us, he's chosen us, he's given us collectively, all the tools that we need to please our commanding officer and win the war. Somebody say, win the war. Win the war. We can run with our brothers. We can finish the race marked out for us as we do it together. We can sow the kingdom seeds and reap a harvest of salvation through our labor together. He has not appointed us to wrath, but we are appointed unto salvation. And he brings that to us, and we must work in that and walk in that together. Amen. Let's look now in verse 10. Who died for us, so that whether we are still alive or are dead, at Christ appearing, we might live together with him and share his life. Therefore, encourage, admonish, exhort one another, and edify, strengthen, and build up one another just as you are doing. This morning, we want to say that is what we see us together doing. That is what we are doing. We are living together. We are living with him. We are sharing the life of Jesus together. We are encouraging, admonishing, and exhorting each other. We are edifying, strengthening, and building one another up. And it's what we are going to continue to do all the more. Amen. Church, say we are. We are. Say it again. Say we are. We are. We are on the warpath for the cause of Christ. We must give until we drop, preach until all know, and proclaim until all are empowered. And when our time is up, he will have no problem recognizing us collectively. Because we are LCM from the fraternal and eternal order of the DCE, we, DCD. We are not ashamed to fight 
for the gospel of Christ. We have some practical items for you, church, as we come to a close this morning. We are going to wake up and be alert and cautious of those old enemies' feelings and memories. We are exposing them in the light of his presence together. We are going to be sober-minded, working together to be free of poisonous thoughts and together being calm and collected in the shalom of God. We are going to armor up, being unified in our collective faith, clothing ourselves with love for the brotherhood and encouraging each other in the hope of our salvation. Amen. Church, say it one more time. We are. God is working in this body, bringing us to newer levels, heights, and depths of unity. And we're seeing the fruit of it. We're proud of the fruit that's occurring in this church. And we're also wanting to be awake and alert to the opposition, the attacks of the, the enemy to destroy what God is building. We want to sober up and be completely aware and free of the poisonous toxins of these old enemies, old feelings and old memories. We want to armor up together, shielded by our faith and having a sincere love as we advance. So do this for me. Stand to your feet. Let me tell you what we can do today and together. Today is the day when we can strengthen and edify each other by coming to this altar and asking the Lord to awaken us to those old enemies, old feelings, and old memories that we cannot see at the moment, but we know that he's starting to draw out and reveal out of these dark and hidden areas. Today, here at this altar, we can become sober in the shalom and right order of God possessing and having the right thoughts and actions that are born from heaven. Today, here at this altar, we can armor up, be suited with the weaponry of His righteousness, His love, and His salvation that joins together in us to win the war. So as I pray, let the Lord bring about that clarity, that revealing of what is hidden in darkness, what needs to be sobered up, and what needs to be armored up. Mighty God, we love you, and we thank you for making us your body here on earth. We pray that as we seek your face, your word would come alive inside of us, and it would illuminate where these areas need to be fortified and built up and increase the levels of unity even more